Welcome to the Activist Insight Podcast, which takes you through the top shareholder activism stories as told by Activist Insight Monthly. I'm Ilana DeRay, a financial reporter with Activist Insight, and this month we are asking, has Voce Capital Management convinced shareholders of Argo Group International that the firm's spendthrift culture warrants a board refresh? Why is Emerson Analytics one of the most feared and respected short sellers in Asia? What is the key to Sevian Capital's success? But first, a look at activist investors and the old targets they've revisited. Our cover story explores why activist investors sometimes wage repeat attacks at portfolio companies. The number of companies subjected to repeated demands for board representation rose from 16 in 2014 to 30 companies last year, according to data from Activist Insight Online. Advisors told Activist Insight Monthly that activists do not want to have to agitate for change two years in a row, but sometimes the need is too great to ignore. Joining us today is Activist Insight Editor-in-Chief Josh Black who spoke to activists and advisors about the increased rate of repeat attacks. Hi, Josh. Welcome to the show. What are the main reasons an activist would launch a second proxy contest at a company? Well, I think no activist really wants to have to fight a second contest. It's time and expense that they'd rather not have to uh, commit to. And let's face it, everyone wants to fix a company and move on as quickly as possible. But I think there are three common scenarios that we identified in our research. The first is where an activist comes up just short in the first year and comes again the second year. An example might be Taubman Centers, where land and buildings came just short uh, one year and came back the second year after the company had made some changes, argued that they weren't enough and narrowly got onto the board that time around. Last year at Home Street, the activist nominations were deemed invalid and this year it's running a, another campaign and thinks it will have a fairer shot this time. The second situation is where an activist actually gets on the board the first time around and wants to extend its influence, which is quite an interesting scenario. So you had this back in the day with Starboard a few times. Uh, You've had it more recently with McCallum advisors at City Trends. Um, And that's a situation where, you know, maybe the activist settled or won a minority of the board and needs another director for support or you know, wants to push for a majority of the board this time around. And then the third situation, which is perhaps the most unusual, is where an activist really isn't expecting to win or doesn't mind losing, but just wants to keep an issue on the agenda year after year. And so they might run consecutive contests, just looking to make the case for a particular strategy or even just putting forward a director that they think would add some benefit. So who has the upper hand in a repeat attack? The activist? Or the company? Every situation is somewhat different, but I think the presumption is that the activist has the upper hand. They wouldn't be back if the stock price had suddenly shot up. Uh, they wouldn't be back if everything was going swimmingly. So uh, while an activist does have to explain why it's come back a second time, there's a presumption that, you know, if they say, oh, I was in the boardroom, but the rest of the board froze me out, I was kicked off committees, uh, I was ignored, then the rest of the board has something to answer for. And to some extent, they can demonstrate that through filings with the company's proxy and disclosures. That's not to say we haven't seen companies go on the attack against these second time around activists, you know, city trends. Uh, the company came out quite harshly against McCallum and said that, you know, they 
they had been disruptive and uh, they were only doing this to get reimbursed for their fees from the first fight. Uh, and then they settled pretty soon afterwards. So we haven't really seen a scenario in which that line of attack has been particularly effective from the company. Do most activists gain a board seat the second time around? Overall, yes, activists running a subsequent campaign do tend to get on the board, more often through settlements than through actual uh, votes. Some of them do go to a vote, and some of them lose at the vote, which gives the companies some reason for optimism. But I think uh, an activist will only really run a second contest if they feel like there is enough groundswell for change anyway. They may have got some feedback from investors the first time around that gives them a sense of what strengths to play to, uh, they may know exactly who to target uh, the second time around. So it's not all that surprising that activists do tend to be more successful. Companies don't really want to be in this position, which probably explains why there are more settlements uh, the second time around. Sevian Capital is a pan-European activist investor with Nordic roots that made a name for itself as a long-term constructive activist that does not shy away from taking a more aggressive stance if its demands are not given reasonable consideration. Christer Gardell and Lars Forberg founded Sevian in 2002 after working together at private equity firm Nordic Capital and investment firm Kustos. Focused on the Nordic region, Sevian initially employed a private equity-style drawdown structure under which investors commit capital that is only deployed when an opportunity emerges. Early on, Gardell was known as the butcher, the corporate pirate, and the icon of Sweden. Indeed, veteran U.S. activist Carl Icahn was an early investor in the fund. However, as activism moved into the mainstream, those labels lost their potency. Now, Sevian is known for its thoughtful, private equity-like thoroughness. Although Sevian started small, it quickly moved up market, owing to the growth of its firepower and concentrated portfolio. In 2006, the fund launched Sevian Capital II and raised about $2 billion to take on companies in Germany, Switzerland, and the UK. Sevian likes to be the largest or second largest shareholder in its targets, and often takes a board seat. This year, Sevian launched the first proxy contest in its 17-year history at Switzerland's Panalpina. However, it was soliciting against the removal of a voting cap opposed by the largest shareholder, rather than seeking a board seat. The move helped DSV, Sevian's preferred bidder, to secure a deal for Panalpina before the vote took place. Sevian typically tries to influence a company as a board member, but has been deft at using the press if it cannot get its way. Panalpina chairman Peter Uber stepped down one month after Forberg told a Swiss magazine that his tenure was intolerable. The activist is not afraid to play all its cards, which is why it has become one of the chief players across European markets. Voce Capital Management is seeking a board revamp at Bermuda-based reinsurer Argo Group International, taking issue with the company's alleged spendthrift culture and meager return on equity. The activists claimed that Argo destroyed shareholder value by financing CEO Mark Watson's lavish lifestyle, including luxury housing, jet trips, designer furniture, and expensive artwork. 
Because of its extravagance, Voce said the company's average return on equity over the past 10 years was only 6%, behind 11% for peers. Argo has rebutted some of Voce's specific claims, denying it has an apartment above its New York offices, maintains lavish art collections, or used its corporate aircraft to transport Watson for personal travel. In March, Voce launched the proxy contest for five board seats, contending the current directors are responsible for the company's wasteful culture. Leading with remuneration concerns is rare for a dedicated activist like Voce. Of the 86 compensation-related demands counted by Activist Insight Online as of March 31st, only 22 of those were advanced by primary or partial-focused activists. Yet of those 22, seven were in the financial sector, placing Argo in the sweet spot. Argo has defended its board, capital allocation policy, and compensation practices, saying Voce put forward a series of poorly researched claims with little regard for the truth. The insurer also touted its strong financial performance, highlighting one, three, and five-year period total shareholder returns that beat the S&P 500. Indeed, Argo's share price has recovered from its all-time low of $19.85 in June 2012 and has hit $72.70 on April 12th of this year. One compensation expert told Activist Insight Monthly that despite investors' interest in compensation, it suspects Voce's complaints alone will not, quote, carry the day in terms of the proxy fight. As such, Voce presented shareholders with a plan to increase return on equity through cost reductions and portfolio and capital allocation changes. The question is whether this strategy will garner shareholder support, especially since Argo's current plan has improved the company's share price. Anonymous short seller Emerson Analytics has revealed some of the greatest frauds in China, including those at aluminum supplier China Hongqiao Group, Braze Duck Chain Chou Heia, and telecommunications equipment firm China Fiber Optic. When asked why it prefers to remain anonymous, Emerson cited safety as a concern. We must ensure the personal safety of not just our own staff, but the dozens of ex-employees of the targeted companies, it told activists in Site Monthly. Emerson's focus on identifying accounting frauds has paid off. Since 2014, the short seller targeted nine companies. Five companies saw their auditors resign in the aftermath of the allegations, while two still have their stocks suspended from trading. Another was delisted, and one target was saved by a reverse takeover. All Emerson's campaigns through 2017 delivered positive results, with the average campaign returning 27%, according to Activist Insight Shorts. To build its theses, Emerson analyzes multiple sources to see if the numbers reported by a company are indeed real. At Chohea, the activist looked at sales slips from each point-of-sale machine, discovering that many slips were marked deal canceled. This led the short seller to conclude that the duck retailer overstated its sales. At China Fiber Optic, Emerson compared the company's sales numbers with its submissions to the State Administration of Industry and Commerce, a common strategy used by short sellers in the region to identify fraud. 
at Hangzhou, Emerson's interactions with former company employees and industry consultants led it to uncover suspicious transactions at subsidiary Weichao. Although there is often a tense relationship between short sellers and regulators in the region, Emerson said it has worked with the Hong Kong authorities. Nonetheless, it said it cannot reveal its identity in the foreseeable future because, quote, questioning listed companies in China often invites government persecution and prosecution. And now for some stories that did not make it into the magazine. As the investment space in the U.S. becomes oversaturated, with activist investors looking to pick at low-hanging fruit, some shareholders feel the U.K. offers fresh investment opportunities. According to data from Activist Insight Online, 19 U.K. headquartered companies were publicly subjected to U.S. activist demands in 2018, nearly five times the amount of the year prior. A total of 51 UK-based companies were targeted by global activists last year. Advisors and activists told Activist Insight Online that the depreciation of the pound, commonality of the English language, and stricter UK governance standards have attracted US investors to the market. Several US activists have pushed various UK companies to explore M&A opportunities, including Connecticut-based Catraw Capital, which is urging online delivery services provider Just Eat to consider a merger. Others have urged companies to consider operational restructurings and cost improvements. Earlier this year, New York-based Sherborne Investors urged Barclays to trim its investment bank. The activist leader conceded defeat in its bid to win a board seat ahead of the firm's annual meeting in early May. UK asset managers with a pro-management bias can sometimes hinder an activist effort. But the mood of the institutional investor community is slowly shifting, and more investors are expressing a want for change as underperforming companies fail to create value for shareholders. This shift has opened many more opportunities for U.S.-based activists looking for investments in the U.K. Elsewhere in Europe, shareholders of Energias de Portugal effectively blocked a 9 billion euro takeover bid by China Three Gorges after rejecting a voting rights reform at a special meeting in late April. The Three Gorges takeover offer for the Portuguese company was conditional on the scrapping of a regulation that limited the voting rights of any EDP shareholder to a maximum of 25%. The China-based bidder currently has a 23% stake in EDP. A supermajority of two-thirds of shareholders was required to lift the voting rights limit. But 56% of EDP stakeholders voted not to abolish a cap on voting rights. Although Elliott Management supported the ban of the voting cap, the activist investor previously signaled its opposition to the Three Gorges deal. Elliott, which owns a 2.9% stake in EDP, proposed the standalone alternative that could see EDP implement several tweaks to its strategy and portfolio. Elliott's plan for the firm consists of steps to divest its stakes in EDP Brazil, the Iberian electricity distribution, and legacy Iberian thermal assets. That's all for this episode of the Activist Insight podcast. If you like what you hear or want to read more, you can subscribe to Activist Insight Monthly by emailing subscriptions at activistinsight.com. For comments or questions about the podcast, or if you want something discussed on a future episode, please email press at activistinsight.com. Please do rate and review the podcast on whichever platform you are using to help others access our reporting. I'm Ilana Duray. Thanks for listening.